Well, one of the things that my Bible study groups over the years uh, know more than most other people in our church about me is all my funny dating stories. Uh, From my misadventures with the movie When Harry Met Sally on two separate first dates a year apart, which both became last dates, uh, (laughs) uh, to an infamous palm card incident where Roger Fitzharding, who's the son-in-law of the previous minister, decided it'd be a good idea to give me palm cards with prompts for when those awkward silences happened. That turned out to be a last date as well. Uh, (laughs) uh, To the first date that turned into an intimate family dinner in a dining room filled with tasteful erotica uh, that the uh, brother of the girl I had asked out kept pointing out and saying, what do you reckon about her? Hey, look at that one. And I was the student minister at this church and like, am I allowed to look? I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, We've been talking about love, sex and marriage uh, for a few weeks now and today we're talking about dating. Uh, And while, like me, you might feel that that's not particularly relevant to you right now. As it turns out, it's relevant to a whole lot of people in our church. We heard last week that 50% of our congregation, because the numbers went up after the service, we found out from 496 to 50% of our congregation, are single. And many within that category are looking for love. Uh, and not just at young ages, we have people in their 70s who are, have romantic interests and so on. Uh, But also, one of the most incredible things about church is how God gives us uh, generations of people to learn from and be encouraged by and give our wisdom to. So we all need to keep thinking about all of these different issues, especially in our sexually charged culture where people are doing real damage to each other in this very area and where we want to protect and grow and disciple others so and we want to know what god thinks so that we can be enlightened and transform as well as be a blessing to others in other generations or even to our contemporaries because well dating can happen at any age but what on earth would god have to say about dating uh there's all sorts of passages in the bible on marriage there's there's a whole book devoted to the joys of intimacy within marriage uh, if you want to read Song of Songs. And last week, we saw he's got plenty to say about the single life. But can you think of a single passage in the Bible about dating? I can rack my brains, I can't think of one. So let me put to you two seemingly contradictory statements and then see how we can work it out together. The first is, the Bible has nothing whatsoever to say about dating. But secondly, the Bible tells you everything you need to know about it. Uh, consider the first statement. If you go to the scripture index at the back of your Bible or if you've now got the phone app because you're cool and hip um, you, you, and you type in the search thing for date, you're not going to find any results whatsoever. The word just doesn't appear in the Bible. In fact, neither does the idea. Uh, when it comes to relationships, uh, here... Uh, what have I got to do to the clicker, Dave? He's doing something to the computer. Oop, here we go. He's probably changing the format. Uh, there you go. There's, there's basically four states that the, the godly person in the Bible could find themselves in. 
Um, you were either single or betrothed. That was the next step, right? There was no dating. Uh, betrothed, married or widowed. Uh, and there was no dating because everything in the Bible was basically arranged marriages. We're talking about Middle Eastern culture and there were contracts that had been signed and paid for. And the state of betrothal in the Bible is not like our engagement. It's more binding than an engagement today. Right? You can break off an engagement and it might cost you whatever deposit you've made to the, um, the reception place, but that's about it. Whereas you're in a binding contract in a betrothal, has been made between two families and money's changed hands and you're, you're locked in. Of course, there were love interests. Uh, Jacob, you might remember, fell for Rachel uh, after he saw her wandering down to the well with the camels. Um, but, you know, what did he do about it? He had to make a deal with her dad for her hand and that wasn't simple. Uh, the contract was, you work for me for seven years. Uh, <laughs> And they were betrothed during that time. And at the end of the seven years, Laban ripped him off and he got married to the wrong sister because the veil was so dark. And, uh, and then he had to work seven more years uh, to marry the one he wanted. Rachel, 14 years of hard labour is the betrothal. Uh, his dad, Isaac, he hadn't even met his wife before he married her. His servants sorted that out. Right, went to a foreign land, found a woman, said that's the one, paid for you know, the arrangement. Uh, we don't do anything like that these days, do we? Uh, you might think that's good or bad, I'm not sure. I've got daughters now, I wonder if that was a better way to do it. But anyway, in 21st century Australia, it looks much more like this. And this is something that your friends, relatives, you know, grandchildren will be going through. Uh, the first thing is you have to figure out, uh, without any interference from your parents... Uh, and uh, who you're going to date. And so you date different people. If you're internet dating uh, or just getting started again, uh, you can see lots of people at once these days. Yeah, back in the 1950s, well, you, 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 it was just one at a time, wasn't it? But now you could go on multiple dates with multiple people uh, and until you agree with one person that you're going to be exclusive with them which in the older American movies they called Going Steady, uh, if you remember that, uh, where you're now locked in with this one person and you're going to work things out with them. And then apart from that, well, and then, you know, you'd say you get engaged and you get married, but, but there's a whole lot of other things as well, right, off to the side that uh, people you know will be going through. Uh, experimenting or finding yourself, which probably means sleeping around with random people, uh, discovering your sexual identity. Uh, once you're dating then, most people in our community are going to move in together uh, and they may or may not get engaged from there. Uh, in fact, there's really no point getting engaged, but they do it anyway several years later. Uh, it's really just a way of having a $50,000 booze up to commemorate that nothing's really changed or to save their relationship. Uh, nothing has changed because legally after two years of being shacked up together, you're now in a de facto marriage. Uh, anyone know what the word de facto means? It's Latin. Uh, oh, Dave thinks he knows. There's a Bible college education for you. Yeah. Oh, right there. In reality, in fact, the fact is, 
You are married. That's what de facto marriage means. In fact, you're married. And the law will treat you as such if you ever break up, just like in a divorce. Half goes to each partner. Right? And, there, and then there's, it's complicated. Uh, you'll see that on Facebook status updates. What relationship status, it's complicated. That could mean anything, right? We've broken up or we're working it out or we've had a fight last night. Yeah, who knows what state we're in? In fact, the whole thing is very complicated. And as I said, I have daughters now. I'd be very happy to go back to the old way. It was much simpler. <laughs> but, but in any case, dating is key to making any of it happen. But if it if that's the case, and the Bible doesn't ever use the word or even have the concept of dating, we might conclude that God's got nothing to say on the matter and so we're just free to work it out and do what everyone else is doing and just follow the culture around. But on the other hand, God promises his scriptures give you everything you need to know about every life situation, about facing a midlife crisis, about job decisions, about places to live, like it, it actually gives you everything you need to know about all of this stuff. The word of God gives me everything I need to know about God, about myself, about the purpose and meaning of life and about what is true, good and beautiful and so it provides the lens through which to look at all of life including dating. And the place God always wants us to start as his people is considering um, what is our purpose what's the point of life what's our aim and the bible gives us as god's people real purpose he saves us when we were you know driving away from god through the gospel jesus has died for us and gives us life but he gives his people then real purpose real meaning and a whole way of orientating life which applies to us whichever one of the states we happen to find ourselves in and what is that what is the purpose of life as a christian it is to please God. Right? God made us to love and serve him. He saved us from our sins so that we might love and serve him. And he wants us to honour him in every part of our lives. Uh, in our family life, with our wallets, in the way that we work, in our leisure time. Every part of our life is God's. Many people tend to compartmentalise their lives uh, into various different spheres. Uh, Christianity Explained is an old, you know, uh, find out about Jesus in the Bible uh, course, but it's got this great diagram where, where they picture your life as a house, just like this. This is the picture from there. With each room of the house being a separate part of your life. And uh, just like a real house, you can welcome who you like into any part of it you want. But when you become a Christian and let God into your house, um, I can tell you, God doesn't want to stand in the foyer. Right? Don't leave him there. Right? Uh, which is where we're tempted to leave him. If we're going to give your, our lives to Jesus, he's got to have access to every room in the house. Um, and think about the ways that the Bible talks about the point of life. You could go to all kinds of different passages. Here's a few I thought of. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands. Or Romans 12. In 
view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, right? A life lived in sacrifice and service of God, right? Or Mark chapter 10, verse 28 to 31, Jesus was asked, which, which command of all the commands God ever gave is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, as we've already heard in the service today, the most important one is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbour as yourself. There are no other commands greater than these. They're all painting a picture of life that's devoted to God, where every facet, every day, every relationship, the, the whole house, even the bedroom. So if that's the case for all of life, what's the purpose of dating within that then? Well, if you want to honour God and you want to help other Christians, younger, old, you know, contemporaries, honour God and live for him, then surely the point of dating is to work out if you're going to marry this particular person or not. That, that, that is the only point of dating, right? Am I going to marry them or not? All right? That's what it's for. It's not an end in itself. It's not just to have fun hanging out with someone because you're lonely, right? You have friends for that, right? It's, it's not just doing something to get really close to someone who makes your heart beat faster and you can't think of any other way to do it, right? It's, and it's not to prove yourself to your peers that you've got standing in your school community or, you know, your workplace or anything like that. It's to figure out whether there is a future here with this person. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be intense and every conversation when you go out with someone or if you're advising someone, yeah, that every conversation they have to have has got to be about big issues and life decisions, right? That'll just scare them off on the first date. I've done that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and it's not saying you can't just go watch a movie or hang out and throw a frisbee around and it, for it to be legitimate. But, it, but it, it's a, the whole process is about making this decision about are we going to marry or are we going to break up? Because those are the only two endpoints. And I think we, a lot of people have forgotten that, right? There are only two endpoints to dating, break up or get married, all right? And God doesn't leave us without the very best tools for working that question out. Am I going to marry them or not, or break up with them? So let's get into the nitty-gritty and think about dating by the book. The first and foremost thing God would have any of his people consider is who to date or who not to date, right? And it's not uh, anything to do with looking for signs that someone is your true soulmate um, when, when your eyes meet across the room, right? I instead, what God gives us are a couple of ways to think about who. And the first thing he gives us is he says there is a right pull for the godly Christian to fish in. Right? Yeah, we're not, we're not deep sea fishing in the open ocean, right? Uh, fish outside of this pool and you can know that you're not pleasing God, right? And he's not guiding there, you there, no matter what your heart may say and how much you might have prayed to God, make this one the one, right? If they're not in this pool, God says, no, don't go out with them. So here are the boundaries, you want to please God, only ever doubt someone who is. Oh, 
not related to you, of the opposite sex, who is able to be married and who is a Christian, a fellow believer. Now, I say that, and I think most of those shouldn't even have to be said, (laughs) but in our increasingly complicated world, which has been all junked up by the sexual revolution and experimentation, they have to be said. Incest is out according to God, right? And if you want to see the list of people that includes and excludes, God's clear about it, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 to 18. You can go read that yourself. Um, It should be someone of the opposite sex. Now, we're going to deal particularly with the issues around LGBTQIA, all the letters, uh, in a few weeks' time. You might want to pray for God's mercy on the preacher for that one. <laughs> but Romans 1, just, just putting it out there, is a good place to start where relationships, we are told, between same sex are one expression, not the only expression, they are one expression of a rejection of God and life without him. Able to marry. A bunch of people might fall outside of that category. A child, for instance, right? Or someone who's married to someone else, right? Don't date them. (laughs) But the one most Christians seem to have to find, find the hardest to deal with is the fact that God only wants his people to date and marry other Christians, I don't see why it's so shocking, but that's not to say if you you were married and you both weren't Christians and you become a Christian later that you should leave, that's not saying that, you should honour your marriage vows, but if you're figuring out who to marry, it's got to be someone who belongs to Jesus. In the Old Testament, part of the sin of Israel that the nation was destroyed for was intermarrying outside of the faith something that's expressly forbidden in the law of Moses. At Nehemiah, when they're rebuilding after the exile, he hits the fan when he finds out that God's people are doing it again after the exiles have returned. And here we go again, God's going to destroy us. And the prophets condemn any Jew who wants to go that way. For instance, we just read in Malachi chapter 2, and I have no idea whether these slides all seem mixed up. Uh, and we've gone back to the start, I don't know where we are. Fine, Malachi too. Anyway, Judah has acted treacherously and a detestable act has been done in Israel and Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this. That's not unclear, is it? If you're an Israelite, you can't marry outside of... You might think of people who did, right? right? Rahab the prostitute because he's an ancestor of Jesus. There's Ruth and so on, but... they're they're interesting cases but they've all given their lives to the Lord and become Jews in the process and when you get to the New Testament you see the same idea is repeated for instance in our second reading uh, he was talking at the end about widows Uh, I'll let Dave find it if he's up there (laughs) Uh, and the reason he's talking about widows specifically and specially is because they're really the only category of people in the Bible who are free to marry whoever they wanted without going through the whole betrothal process, right? They could date and marry whoever they wanted in society, but what does Paul say to them? 
You don't have to date anyone. You might be happy if you don't. But if you're going to date someone, they have to be a Christian. They have to be in the Lord. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she's happy if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. Now, why is that? Why would God only want Christians to marry other Christians and not have missionary dating or flirt to convert or any of the things that have been popular slogans amongst Christians who've wanted to step outside of that in the last, well, probably forever, but (laughs) the last 30 years? Um, Surely there's lots of nice girls and guys who'd make your Christian granddaughter or grandson happy and content. Maybe, Maybe they would make them happy and content, But you know what they'll also do? They'll lead them away from Jesus. It's as simple as that. And you see it happen over and over again. 90% of Christians who date and marry non-Christians aren't Christians for very long after. Uh, And the ones who do stay Christian end up in a world of trouble and hurt and regret uh, if they want to live it out seriously. Uh, from compromises that have to be made over family time and am I going to be able to be part of church and Bible study and all those kind of things, the fighting over money when you want to give generously to Christian causes or to church, just the knowing that your husband or wife is heading towards hell and having to live with that, right? Adele, who died early in the year, one of our wonderful long-term Christians, Uh, married a non-Christian. She was a Christian at the time and we sat down and talked about this some years ago and she said, whenever you get the chance, Joe, this is my promise to Adele, you will tell everyone, never do what I did. I love my husband, but I did the wrong thing. It was sinful. Right? And I've had to live with the knowledge that we are not going to be spending eternity together unless God does a miracle in his heart. But it's also not just about you, but also think of the effect on children that you're going to have because the husband or wife's lack of faith and love for Jesus will always have a bigger impact on your children than your faith will. And particularly when you have modelled to them that living for Jesus really isn't that big a day because you compromised yourself before they were ever born. God is calling us always to take the long-term view to trust him, to put him first and to love his ways for everyone's sake and not just in this area, in every area of life. So there's a right pool for Christians to fish in. But there's also wisdom that God gives within that. He's not saying just marry, you can just marry anyone who's in that pool. Uh, Well, you probably could and make a good fist of it. But if you go back to the second week where we were looking at the pattern of marriage, you want to be figuring out while you're dating or advising others, you know, while they're dating, whether this is the kind of person who demonstrates the kind of ability and character to be able to live it out, right? Is he going to be a godly leader for the family who is going to sacrifice for you, lay down his life for you, or is he just a selfish pig? He's only in, ever in anything for himself, Right? Is she a godly woman developing in the character of gentleness, going to be able to follow your lead? Or is she going to fight you all the time? 
It is the beauty that the other person have or the handsomeness uh, from within or is it only external, right? A pretty face, ample assets, rock-hard abs and a perfectly manicured, perfect three-day growth, you know, kind of that, that look, you know. Um, are, are they more interested in impressing people than caring for them? Uh, do they... Uh, do the words they say build other people up in general or tear them down? Because you'll no doubt end up the recipient of whichever words they use in general. Date long enough and it'll happen. Are they the kind of person who is able to make decisions based on their faith rather than on what the world says? Those are the things that matter to God. And the closer your own walk with God, the more you'll find the right things attractive. Right? But you've got to train your mind away from Mills and Boone, uh, away from the movie romances, away from the porn culture that we are in. But you might say, and grandkids might say, well, what about chemistry? Surely zing and sizzle matters, right? You know, they, they walk in your room and your heart beats a little bit faster. They, they smile and... The day just seems brighter. If you don't have that, why would you marry them? You know, they float your boat. Well, God certainly has made us as sexual beings with appetites and desires. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. But if that is the main thing when you're making up your mind, then you're guaranteed to get hurt, disappointed and make very poor decisions. Just watch Beauty and the Geek and watch every beauty say, I've only ever dated bad boys and my life has been destroyed. Right? It's a funny show, but that bit's not funny. Right? Uh, psychologists have coined a new word to describe that feeling of sexual attraction and excitement. Um, you know, that falling in love feeling. Uh, they, they call it limerence. I don't know where they came to it. It sounds like limerick to me. But anyway, limerence. And the research says that limerence generally is going to disappear after about two years of any relationship. It's not going to last even in the best marriage. And yet the love songs would have us believe it's the key factor, but it's actually a horrible guide, right? It's not a bad thing, it's lovely and exciting, but don't let it override the pull or the wisdom that God gives us. You do and things are going to go cactus. Now, I remember there's this one guy who uh, was hanging out on the roof of his high-rise uh, and in the middle of the city and he looked over the around, he's looking from the roof and he looked over to the next building and there was this gorgeous bombshell swimming there in the rooftop pool and he thought, she's got to be the one. That's, that's got to be God's guidance. Anyone know his name? King David. And she was a married woman named Bathsheba. And the devastation of that fling brought disaster to his life, to her life. It ended her husband's life and it brought ruin and shame to future family and even to the whole nation. So if that's the who of dating, let's talk about how. First thing to say about how to date is to have the right expectations from the very beginning, right? Going out with someone is not the same as being married to them. It's an investigation 
on the way to marriage, right? There's a whole lot of things that come out from that. An invitation, and this is, you know, the 20-year-olds at night, this is really confusing about, an invitation to a coffee date or to dinner and a movie is not a marriage proposal, right? Uh, and, and you can go, it's okay, even if you'd never thought about that person before in that way, have a go, right? Um, but also, having the right expectations means you'll, you'll have right expectations about the outcomes that this relationship is only ever going to either get us married or we're going to break up, right? And you've got to allow the possibility of either outcome, right? That, that says something about how far you give your heart away to the other person and become so invested in that your life is going to be devastated if it ended, right? Um, if they broke it up. Uh, or that you, you know, I have to marry them now because I can't imagine life without them, even if they're not the right, they're not in the pool or they're not following the wisdom of God. And, and don't forget, it's an investigation for both people. So you've got to allow and have right expectations that the other person might decide that it's over, even if I think I've decided they're the one. How long should you date for? Well, as long as it takes for both of the couple to work out if they're going to marry or not, right? And don't, no longer. Right? Don't drag it out uh, if it's um, if you just because it's convenient and nice and cheap and other people have expectations about you. If you've worked out that this isn't the one, rip the band-aid off. Do it kindly, do it gently, and do it in person, not by text message or just ghosting them. Uh, <laughs> have the conversation and be honest about it. Right? Don't make up excuses. Oh, it's not you, it's me. Naturally, it's always them, isn't it? Right? That's why you're not going, because they're not the one I'm going to marry. <laughs> Dating is only to figure it out, and if you figured it out and you're not going to pursue this anymore, rip the band-aid off. And if they ask for reasons, give them to them, even if it's painful, because how are they going to grow? Otherwise, how are you going to grow? It's only going to make things worse to perpetuate the relationship with someone you're not going to marry because it hurts too much or you're worried they'll be sad. They may well be and it will hurt, but it'll be much worse if you do it three years later when you've got up the courage and far, far worse if you break up your marriage when you shouldn't have married them in the first place. Right? Even a, a broken engagement is terribly sad. I've been through that. Uh, a broken marriage is devastating. And actually, you're only hurting yourself and the other person more if you don't break it up because you're stopping both of you ever marrying the right person if you're not going to marry them yourselves. You're actually stopping them having a good future. Save a whole lot of complication if we just went to the Bible way of doing things. <laughs> um, you know, have arranged marriage. Anyway... Um, the final thing then, which a lot of Christians want to know, is how far can we go uh, when we're dating? It's very hard to ask that question, isn't it, without sounding like a Pharisee from the Bible, isn't it? You know, they were always making rules and laws so they could work out how much they could do without upsetting God. You know, you can't work on the Sabbath. We know that law, but if you move your chair around your house, is that work? Well... Well, if you lift the legs off the ground, it is work. But if you just drag it, it's not. So you can get as close to the bed. You know, how far can we go? Is kissing her on the cheek too much? 
uh, is pashing and groping okay for Christians as long as you keep your clothes on? Um, how far? What about, you know, moving in together? What, does God actually have an opinion about that? Does it matter if you're past childbearing age? Does that change anything? All right, that was what was happening out at Windsor in the church, right? As soon as we hit 50, well, there's no risk of kids and so the rules, Christian rules or whatever God thinks, changes because there's no consequences. Well, there's plenty of consequences. That's just not one of them, right? There's plenty of others. <laughs> well, a couple of things to say. The first is that it's always a slippery slope. Uh, you go this far now and you say to yourself, no further, but our hearts are always wanting to push boundaries, uh, don't they? So it's, it's a, quiz, a quick kiss goodbye on one date, then it's a pash a couple of dates later, and then the hands start roaming. It's a, it's a slippery slope. And if you don't have firm boundaries to start with, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, and I could just quote Philip Jensen, who was famous for saying, how far do you go, folks? No far. <laughs> right? And certainly moving in to get, like you, you're down in territory that, well, not, you know, that God would call fornication, right? That's, that's the other category in the Bible uh, and stuff. But you're, you're also in for a world of hurt. Uh, here's the results of the research. Cohabiting partners uh, often experience greater incidence of cheating and lowered trust levels. Uh, furthermore, domestic violence rates are often higher in cohabiting relationships, especially where the partner experienced unstable upbringing, where examples of domineering, isolation and control were common. Additionally, cohabiting relationships are quite unstable in general, uh, and those that do on to produce a marriage are often more likely to end in divorce. In fact, it's about double the divorce rate if you've cohabited before you marry. You can't have a trial marriage, because the nature of marriage is you can't have a trial of it, right? And that's why they end up, you know, destroying themselves. Uh, especially, what he says, when the relationship partners did not make clear decisions together about each step and stage of the relationship development. And that's the summary of about four different studies that he's kind of grouped together. All these five, Like, it doesn't make for better relationships, it ends in more disaster. All right? Just take God's word on it. But I think the rule of thumb is this. If whatever you're doing is getting you aroused or is getting the other person aroused, well, you shouldn't be doing it. Save the things of marriage for marriage. Remember, they are not your husband or wife, and they may never be. In fact, they might actually go on to become someone else's husband or wife in the future, and so the things you do while you're dating are going to impact that marriage. I've yet to meet a Christian couple who got married, who had gone too far beforehand, who didn't live with guilt, regret and hurt that really did make the marriage harder if you do get married you're going to have plenty of time to work all that stuff out and if you end up breaking up you won't have to live with the guilt or shame or hurt because you've super glued yourself to someone you shouldn't have which will inevitably uh, be painful like we were talking about a few weeks ago when we, you glue your fingers together and you rip them apart it always leaves a bit of skin on the other finger and it's going to hurt all right and if you end up marrying someone else later you really will regret it then because you bring every sexual relationship into that marriage god is calling us to live for him in everything 
He wants the whole house, including the bedroom. Father, we do pray for ourselves and for uh, the younger people in our church and those who are, who are searching for love. Please, please help us. Help us all to live for you. Help us to be an encouragement and help to each other. Help us to have those good words of advice for our friends in this situation and help us, if we might end up in this situation, to be godly. Help us to live your way, to honour you. Thank you for the love and mercy of the Lord Jesus that can heal broken hearts and uh, bring healing to the damage we've done in the past. Uh, Help us to keep looking for mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. And we pray, please, that you just transform our hearts, that we want to put you first in everything. Amen.